What's Your Story? This is Success Stories with Kendra Hall, where inspirational people come to tell their story so that you can write your own. Here's Kendra. Today's conversation couldn't have come at a better time as we are transitioning from summer into fall, as some companies are transitioning from working from home to being back together in the office with so many transitions. One thing that I know for me, at least, has gotten complicated is what to do about my time. How do I make sure that I'm using it efficiently? How do I make sure that that I'm getting the most done? done in the most fulfilling way. Fortunately, this conversation, and within the first few minutes, it actually blew my mind, is all about that. Today's guest is Joe Sanek. Joe is a licensed counselor, entrepreneur, podcast host, and the author of Thursday is the new Friday, how to work fewer hours, make more money, and spend time doing what you want. In his book, Joe lays out his plan for creating a shorter work week in order to increase innovation, mitigate stress, and create a mindset shift that will allow for a happier life. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Joe, welcome to success. Oh, I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Now, I don't know if it's because I knew this interview was coming up. I doubt it, actually. This thing has been on my mind. Uh, And I feel like I go through phases of this, realizing that I'm not working efficiently, feeling like I'm doing things that maybe I'm not meant to do, but I don't know if I should hand them off to somebody else or, or what to do about it. And I really just yesterday had this thought that, you know what, I want a, (laughs) so funny because it's the title of your book. I want a four day work week. Um, I want to take one day off a week where I get to do all of my household things like that, all the things we just have to do for life. And then I want my weekends to be with my family. I want to be fully engaged with them and not, and I've been racking my brain. I was just mowing the lawn yesterday thinking like, how do I make this happen? It feels like other people are doing this so much better than me, or I've tried it before. So I can't tell you how excited I am, as I'm sure you can hear, to have this conversation with you, the expert at making this all work. And that's actually my first question is, when when did you first, and I'm sure you've had many stops along this journey, but when did you first realize that maybe Thursday should be the new Friday? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting when you kind of reflect back on your career, where things go and how they moved. And really, a lot of this is a returning home. I remember my freshman orientation where the college academic advisor said, you can make your schedule. And I was like, like what? Like I can take Fridays off? And she's like, yeah, you can take Fridays off. So throughout all of college, except for one class, I never had class on Friday. Mm. Um, And then my very first job out of grad school, I negotiated for a four-day work week. Uh, Just thinking like, hey, I don't want to work on Fridays still. I haven't all through college. Why not do this? So I had a four-day week from the beginning. Then I dove into my career, started doing a regular 40-hour week, had my counseling practice, my podcast, things started to take up, up, off. And all of a sudden you're at 50 hours a week and, you know, I've got a little kid and things were just too busy. Um, And then it shifted in 2012 when uh, my youngest daughter had open heart surgery. I had Mm. thyroid cancer. My grandma died. It was just that year that everyone some at some point has where things fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I had to recalibrate what it was that I wanted. And at that point I was leaving my full-time job to do my consulting practice, to do my counseling And right away I said, I'm going to do an experiment where I'm going to go back to that four-day work week and see what happens. And every single month was better than the month before. And I just kept that four-day work week after that. Wow. One of the things that I I want to make sure we talk about is the four-day work week, whether you are employed or whether you are an entrepreneur, because there are challenges with both. But what an incredible, you mentioned that year where everything kind of falls apart and we've all individually had those years, but then also collectively, I feel like we just had that year, which which even as companies are looking to get back into the office, I know all of my friends who are working in you know, corporate offices in, in New York City, they're all talking about how do we rework the week? Now, my big 
question when I, so I myself am an entrepreneur. Uh, anytime I start to envision uh, Thursday being the new Friday, what I find myself doing is making Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like even longer and more stressful than they should have been, almost making the Friday off not worth it. So I think maybe that's another great place to to start. And then I want to get into the what's the path for this is where are some of the places that when somebody is listening to this, they hear the title of your book, they hear this conversation where they can go wrong right off the bat. Well, I think what you're saying about Monday through Thursday being busier, it's accurate, but we have this kind of point of view that we have a certain amount of time to work on things and it's like a glass of water that we just pour out, like our vigilance, the amount we can pay attention to things. Well, there was a research study done at the University of Illinois on vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well we pay attention to something, decrement meaning that it breaks down over time. So the traditional point of view was throughout a week or throughout a day or an hour, that energy is slowly being poured out. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to sleep, you got to eat. That's how you bounce back, that there's no way to optimize it within the task. Well, these researchers wanted to push back on that. So they brought in college students and gave them a very boring thing to do. They gave them a four-digit number, say it was 3214. Every time 3214 comes up on the computer, hit this button. Every time there's another four-digit number, don't hit the button. So for an hour, they're sitting here just looking at this four-digit number while they experienced vigilance decrement over that hour, meaning the amount of times they caught their number at the end was worse than how they had caught it at the beginning. So their work wasn't as productive. So then the second group, as you do in a research study, we came in and at the one-third mark, they disrupted the task. And they said, sorry, we put you on the wrong computer. Go take a one-minute break in the lobby. They didn't have their any sort of iPhone or anything. It was just hang out in the lobby for a minute. Then they brought them back for another third, did another one-minute break, and then brought them back. In this study, those two one-minute breaks made it that there was zero vigilance decrement, meaning at the end of the study, they were just as focused as they were at the beginning. So if we think about how the brain works, if you're in a task that's really boring and the thing that you're supposed to pay attention to really doesn't happen that much. So say you're walking through a jungle for 40 years, you've known there's been a tiger, but you've never seen a tiger. You're not going to pay attention for tigers after 40 years, right? Our brains learn okay, I need to pay attention to my kids or finding food or the other things that we needed to survive. But let's say you're on a new path and you know there's a tiger, your vigilance will be very active in that. So our brains are super old. And if we can optimize them in very simple ways, like a one minute break, um, we can actually be more productive. So to your point about the Monday through Thursday, I would imagine you probably get more done in those four days, even if you work the same number of hours during those four days as you would spread out or even if you shortened them. Yeah, taking those strategic those strategic breaks, which I want to make sure uh, we get into kind of kind of take this down, like go from the high level and 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 bring it down to the how to. Though, as you were talking about that experiment, sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm in that experiment on airplanes where you board the plane and then they're like, hold on a second, something something, everybody get back off. Okay, now everybody get back on. That's a that's a total side. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe they have us doing experiments instead of just not, and it's not crazy airplane stuff. All right. So, so let's talk about this from a very high level. And I know that the book itself, which we're very excited, comes out in October. Now, of course, this podcast airs before that. So a quick item of business, Joe, is Thursday is the new Friday. Is it available for pre-order now? Yeah, wherever people get their books, they can go order it. Uh, we have eBooks, we have you know regular standard books and audio books that they can pre-order now. One of my favorite things about pre-ordering a book is you often forget that you did it. And then on the day that the book releases, it shows up on your doorstep and you're like, oh, well, good on me. And then it's like, you know, a gift to yourself. It's like, how often do you get to feel like a kid at Christmas as an adult? Like, <laughs> exactly. oh, I surprised myself. <laughs> exactly. That's why I always encourage people to pre-order books. Okay. So the book breaks this down kind of in three parts. But, but give us first, Joe, this high level, like what is the path forward? What are the steps we need to take to, to really embrace this and, and put it successfully into practice? I mean, I think the first really big picture point is that we made up time. And so if we think about 
the earth going around the sun, yes, that's a year. That makes sense. You know, a day, the earth spinning, that makes sense. There is nothing in nature that gives us seven days. It was actually the Babylonians thousands of years ago that they just picked seven days because that was the major seven things they could see in the sky. The mm. the Romans had a 10-day week. The Egyptians had an eight-day week. So let's just start with that a seven-day week itself is completely random. We could just as easily have a five-day week and have 73 weeks in a year. So if we just start with that, and Whoa, then hold let's, on, let's, yeah. before, but like, like, let me process this for a second because let me just undo your concept of time itself. <laughs> I, as you're talking about, I have wondered, like, when did you know, like, if language is different and even the metric system versus, you know, like, how did we? Yeah, at some point, we all came together to decide that a week is a week and that it is seven days. But yeah, we made that up. So. As a slave, as someone who is a proclaimed slave to time, you just blew my mind right there. I needed a moment to process that. <laughs> and if my mind is blown in like the first few paragraphs of this experience, I'm I'm in for some trouble. Okay, so keep going. Yeah. I mean, so then, uh, you know, the Roman Emperor Constantine, he's the one that then said, "No, it's seven days a week across the Roman Empire, around 300 or so." And so, so it just becomes this thing that humans made up. So fast forward to the 1800s. How does the average person work in the late 1800s? Well, they're working 10 to 16 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So that was a terrible schedule for humans. And then in 1926, to sell more cars, Henry Ford switches to the 40-hour work week. He really just said... If people are going to buy these cars, they need to have weekends. They're not going to buy a car just to get to work faster. And so oh. he wanted to sell more cars to his own employees so they could get to work faster and ha have weekends. And so less than 100 years ago, this thing that we feel is like the way, the 40-hour work week, was completely made up by Henry Ford. So wait, wait, wait. Start with, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm... If I'm hearing this right, the 40-hour work week isn't necessarily about the workers and the work that they're doing. It's that nobody will buy cars if they don't have any where else or any other time to drive them to places, right? Like I'm not going to drive over to see my friends if I'm working all the time. Is that, am I understanding that right? A hundred percent. You are a great student. Oh my gosh. This is crazy. You nailed it. You're getting an A plus. Okay, good. Yes. Yes. I am an A plus. That's why this is, that all fits into to what we're talking about here. I want my A pluses. Yeah. I want to use my time wisely. All right. Yeah. Keep going. Okay, so fast forward to the eighties and nineties. You probably remember TGIF with Urkel and Full House and all that. And so Absolutely. Friday starts to really fade out. It's where we start to see that it's when we're going to have a baby shower at work. We're going to do birthday parties. We're going to do team building activities where we do a trust fall with our coworkers and you know all these ridiculous things on a Friday. It's a half work day. Um, and I like to say that Friday has been having an affair with the weekend for a really long time. So let's just call it what it is. You are correct. You're right. You're right, actually. Yep. So yeah, so, so now I think what happens, we see then COVID hit and the entire world says, why are we working this way? And so that industrialist era, we don't think like that anymore in so many different arenas. We don't look at our coworkers as just parts of a machine. That's what the industrialists thought. They looked at people as parts of a machine. The assembly line, the 40-hour work week was essential for 1926. It was a huge step forward for the evolution of business. I mean, they were going from 10 to 16-hour days to then only working 40 hours a week. That's great. And we no longer need that. And, and so what is that next step of evolution in business? I would argue it's the four-day work week. And of course, there's going to be industries that that's more difficult for. But that's in the book how I talk about how we can do experiments, how we can take parts of this as a menu and say, okay, what do we want to try within our own businesses? It doesn't have to be just this specific playbook. But instead, it's, it's a menu of things to experiment with to then move out of that industrialist era into whatever's next. Yeah, I, I suppose I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, like as much as we're now complaining about Zoom meetings and and so forth, it or for me, uh, you know, giving keynote presentations, which I used to have to fly to and spend at least a night and fly back from, and um, you know, all for an hour on stage. Now I can do it from my studio in my bedroom, right? Like we don't have to so much. It's interesting that you the way you said that is we just don't need to necessarily work that way anymore because we do have all of these different ways that business can happen so much more 
quickly. <clears throat> so, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I get it. Um, so where do we, in there, you start talk, you talk about inclinations in the book. Um, so, and embracing these internal inclinations. Is this an appropriate place to go next with our conversation? Joe, what are these inclinations? Um, and what does this have to do with, uh, have you know, allowing Friday to just go and have a relationship with Saturday and Sunday? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think being trained as a psychologist, I always think, what's the natural next question? So great, I just blew up your world and said, time's an illusion, we all made it up. It's like, well, now what do I do, Joe? Well, instead of just like most self-help books saying, here's the exact path you need to go, mm -hmm. uh, what I want to do is I want to say, okay, let's look at the research and see what kind of baseline things people need first before they can even get to a four-day work week. And so looking into internal inclinations, before we ever go external and say, let's look at our schedules and productivity and all that, what has to go on on the inside first? Well, so there's internal inclinations and then our ability to slow down. So internal mm -hmm. inclinations, I looked at what are the top things that performers that do this well really have on the inside naturally. And so I have a whole assessment inside of it so that you can say, well, what's what's an inclination? So what's something that comes very naturally for me? Or what's something that needs a little bit of work? This isn't pass fail, like, oh, you don't have curiosity naturally, so now you're not going to be a good entrepreneur. No, it's let me recognize, oh, this doesn't come as naturally for me. I need to work that muscle inside. So the three internal inclinations are curiosity, an outsider perspective, and then the ability to move on it. So curiosity, mm. let's break that down a little bit. You know, I, I, as I was writing, I was thinking, well, what are the things that if I was just brainstorming that the average person would think of when I say curiosity? Well, curiosity killed the cat. So we've been told this story uh, that actually was in the Washington Post in the early 1900s. And obviously there wasn't a lot of news going on that day, but they had for five days been following this cat that got stuck in a chimney. And the headline on the Washington Post said, curiosity killed the cat. They found this cat in the chimney. It was a sad story for the nation. It made national news. I mean, then, wouldn't that then, be beautiful if that was oh the my news word. today? I know. Take me back. <laughs> Take me back to when that was the headline. But, but think about what that teaches us and our kids. If you are curious, if you go down a dark alley, you're going to die. If you ask big questions, like that is dangerous. Um, but actually top performers, they view curiosity through a much different lens. It's not pass fail. It's, oh, that was interesting. So mm -hmm. they may do a gigantic Facebook ads campaign and they lose all this money on it. It doesn't go how they think. Top performers don't see that as a failure. They see it as well, we got some good data on what really doesn't work with our audience. Good thing we didn't put 100K into that. Um, yeah. And so curiosity is an essential component of your internal inclinations. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. That is, um, I hadn't thought of curiosity in that way. But I, I remember in, uh, that was one of the things that stood out to me. And it's Smarter, Faster, Better, maybe by Charles Duhigg, where he was talking about seeing the importance of seeing things as experiments versus, you know, like, okay, we're going to, we're going to experiment with this. And I think it's, um, it's interesting because when I think about curiosity, I think about my husband who always wants to know more about something. Like he becomes the entire expert on boats. If you mention, hey, wouldn't it be fun to have a boat someday? And, and not that we're even thinking about getting a boat, but suddenly he'll know it's that kind of curiosity. But I, I like this other version of it as well as like, hey, we, it's okay. It's okay to explore and experiment and technically, quote unquote, get things wrong. Um, that's a good inclination to have. I like this. Yeah. And the research supports that if you're developing that curiosity, you're going to be more successful. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is having an outsider's perspective. And, and so there was a research study that looked at, it was really interesting. So they brought together small groups of six to eight people, and they would look at a color, either blue or green, and say, okay, what color is this as a group? And you know, when it was just one group of people, I don't remember the exact percentage they were aligned, but mostly they were aligned overall. Yep, that's green. Yep, that's blue. Even the ones that were a little in the middle. But then they brought in two 
two other people in a different study and they were part of the, the actual study. And some of the ones that were in the middle that everyone used to say was blue, they'd say that's green or the green, they'd say that's blue. And their ability to sway the group was statistically more pronounced than in what it should have been. Um, and so you've only got, you know, two people in there. They shouldn't have that much of a sway on the group. Uh, but there's all these other studies that then started to look on an outsider's perspective. And so mm. you look at people, whether it's, you know, Albert Einstein or Elon Musk that were raised in one country, they moved to another country, they then, you know, are operating their business or their research somewhere else. They have the ability differently than the average person to think outside of the box. And so we look at all these exercises that you know, research will support to show you how you can start to think like an outsider in different situations, even if maybe you're an insider. Yeah. What if you are, what if you're the only cider? Like it's you. What if you're, you know, we have a lot of uh, startup entrepreneurs who are just at the, like, what if, what if it's just you? How can you be the outsider uh, from the inside? Yeah, I mean, the only I, think side. A, <laughs> I mean, there, there's times that you're advocating for a position within a company and you realize that company's just misaligned with your goals. And then there's other times that you do that and you realize, oh, there's some other people that can join me in this, that can be advocates in it, that we can start a small work team, uh, actually talk through how do you kind of go to your boss and pitch, hey, we want to try a four-day work week. How do we walk through this? How do we look at what are our KPIs? How are we going to measure whether or not this is successful? Over what period of time are we going to do this? Can we have another team that does some other sort of experiment during the same time that's a similar size team? And we kind of gamify it. Um, there's lots of ways that you can say, listen, I want to be more productive and creative, and I think you want that too. So what do we have in common? We're stuck in this industrialist era where we say it's a 40-hour work week. Maybe we can challenge that a little bit uh, and try an outsider's perspective. And over what period of time can we do this experiment? And then we all just come together and we're curious about the data and say, okay, did this work? Did this not work? What did we discover that we wouldn't have discovered outside of this? And then that makes your supervisor, if you're in a traditional company, look like a rock star that just got all this innovative research done outside of being told from their higher-ups what they need to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perfect. And what is, tell me, I say perfect because that's coming. (laughs) That's coming next. Um, What is the third inclination? Yeah. So the third one is the ability to move on it. So if we think about a spectrum, there's always a spectrum between having things done completely, perfection, and just getting things done. You know, (laughs) if I go under the knife, if I have a doctor working on me, I want accuracy. I want the accurate side of that spectrum. I don't care how long it takes them to do the surgery. I want accuracy. But most of what we do as entrepreneurs, business leaders, thought leaders uh, is more on the side of speed, where we need to get things out and not be paralyzed by perfection in order to get more done. Mm -hmm. So each of these inclinations essentially allows us to do in terms of Friday being the new first day of the weekend, each of these inclinations allows us to do what by, by developing them? Yeah, it's sort of like tilling the soil before you, pant, before you plant a garden, where you are then optimized on the inside so that then as you enter into the next phases, you're better prepared. So as you move into the slowdown phase and then eventually what I call the killing it phase, you're actually prepared for those phases instead of just, I'm going to just create a new schedule, but you don't have that maturity on the inside to really optimize that. And are there, this is my, this is the, the, the outside thinker. Are there ways in which these inclinations can work against us? Like, is there such a thing as too much curiosity? Is there such a thing as moving on it and, and, it, and it working against us? Yeah. I, I mean, of course, there's always extremes that, that we can see if someone's just curious and never takes action or they you know, are always asking questions and their coworkers are like, okay, like we've gone over this. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, there, there's going to be the extremes, but I think that the average person, uh, I trust that people want to do their best work. Um, and so to say, you know, they go through the assessment and then they realize, okay, naturally, you know, I'm good at curiosity. I'm good at moving on it, but the outsider perspective, I'm not as good at. And so then we look at in that assessment, like, do they have habits and do they have actions that actually support that movement and that growth? And then they get a list of things that can help them grow as a person. I want to go back to when at the very beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about being in college, which I hadn't ever thought about the fact that, yeah, I did the same thing too. I gave myself a full day off every, every week. So 
But it, it seems strange that that younger, uh, more irresponsible, doesn't know as much version of me was actually doing the right thing. When you look back on your college years, um, were there any of these inclinations that that were really natural to you is and I and I ask this as we're looking back to to see you know as we take your assessment and as we're thinking about it ourselves like are there ways to look at our history and and gather clues from that I mean I think for most people they'll probably see things that they naturally had earlier in life I, I mean yeah. I look at my daughters and you know they're six and ten and they're so curious. Uh, I remember just the other day, uh, their nieces live kind of in our backyard. And so four little girl gang hanging out in the backyard and then they found a dead mouse and they all stood around it like it was some sort of funeral. And, and they're just looking at it and they're like, what do you think is going to happen to the mouse now? Um, and I was like, well, an owl might come and eat it. We could bury it. We could put it in the woods and let it decompose and become dirt. And they're like, and then they had questions about that. Well, what's going to happen with the owl? What's going to happen with the dirt? And I mean, as kids, we were curious. Uh, as mm. kids, we didn't overthink things. Uh, a lot of times we felt like an outsider. So I think in a lot of ways, the reason this is resonating with so many people is we realize these things that it takes to be successful are actually what we once were as, as kids mm. or young adults. And let's just go back to those, those eyes that we once had and realize there's so much from our childhood that helped us be successful that we didn't even realize that we were learning that we need to return to. Oh my gosh, what what an incredible uh, paradigm to have anytime you, because I, I know when my kids are being curious, it always seems to happen when we've got some place to go and we got <laughs> right. something to do. And I'm like, I don't have time. We can't talk about this right now. Let's, you know, and I almost in some ways squash that curiosity instead of taking a moment to to look at it and embrace it and use it as a reminder to be curious my myself. I, I love that. So, okay, we, we developed this mindset. We, and, and I think that you are, you said it at the beginning of that conversation that, and it's so true. I went immediately to, okay, what are the steps? Like, what do I have to do? First, I need to cancel all my meetings on Friday. And then I need to, you know, um, and how important it is that that isn't going to work, which makes sense now to me why this hasn't worked for me. And I'm sure many people who are listening to this conversation in the past is, is we didn't do that, that pre-work of, of finding ways to expand the time that, that we do have through those inclinations. But then what happens? What happens after that? What is our next, what is our next um, part of the journey? Yeah. So the next step is slowing down. You know, often when there's self-help books, there's either on one side, the like, here's how you're hyper productive. Or on the other side, it's woo woo, go meditate, just let the world manifest yes. it, put it on a vision board and it's going to happen, but you don't have to do any work. Uh, there aren't many books that bring those two together. And that was really frustrating for me because my best work has usually come after I've slowed down. And, and so you think about it, you know, when are your best ideas? Is it stress when you're stressed out and maxed out? Or is it, you know, maybe when you're taking a shower or you're on like a long drive and you just turn off the music and your kids aren't, you know, making you frustrated. You know, it's those times that we slow down uh, that our best ideas usually come to the surface. And so by doing that, by thinking about, okay, we need to slow down. Uh, how do we do that? How do we set boundaries around our time personally so that we're not checking emails after our kids are in bed, so that we're not working all day Friday, even though we took it off? Uh, that, that best prepares the brain so that on Monday, when you go back to work, you're able to absolutely kill it and get as much done in that period of time. You know, I, I want to talk to you about, say, I feel like this is a personal coaching session for me. So I told you this has been on my mind and I did, I took, I took this weekend off entirely. Um, I was already a little bit behind, I felt a little bit behind, but I knew I needed to take some time off. Um, I was really excited to go into Monday to get back to work, which was great to be excited on Monday morning. But Monday morning quickly turned into uh, berating myself saying I should I should have just gotten a little bit ahead so that I wouldn't feel so like, I find this it's a it's a hurry up and it's a hurry up. It's like a hurry up and slow down and hurry up and slow down hurry up mm -hmm. so that you can slow down It kind of goes back to that. So how do we like, fully embrace the the slowdown. Is there something we can do? I know you mentioned optimizing the brain. Like how do we how do we do this? 
Yeah. So every summer I host a conference except for 2020 called Slowdown School. It's for entrepreneurs. They all fly oh into gosh. northern Michigan. Um, we pick them up in a big yellow school bus, like right from the get-go. So the second they get on that school bus, um, we get their luggage situated. And I just say to everyone, and it's a smaller group. It's meant to be you know 20 to 30 high-achieving entrepreneurs. Like you've just traveled. You made it here. That part of your day is over. Let's Let's so I ring a bell and then we do a one minute meditation, just like just be here. You're done with the travel. You made it. And so even just having those blocks um, to mm. be able to slow down. So then for two and a half days, we go hiking. I bring in a yoga teacher. We have massage therapists. We skip stones on the beach. We play spike ball. I tell them, listen. Your, your only use of your phone is to take pictures. You know, they've already known before this that they need to set up their systems. They need to do all that. But then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning, they absolutely kill it in their business. We work on their business then for two and a half days. Mm. So like one guy, this guy, Michael, I talk about in the book, um, he'd been in a mastermind group with me. Um, he's a great couples therapist from the Chicagoland area. He wanted to write a book about his method of couples therapy. But every time he would come to the mastermind group, it was like, I'm working on it. I'm busy. I'm working. I'm busy. Well, what happened was he had slowed down so much and his brain was so ready to work on Wednesday morning. That in one of the 20-minute sprints, he got nine chapters of his book sketched out. It just mm -hmm. was totally insane how much he got done. So we think when we slow down, what actually is going to happen is that we're not going to get as much done. But actually, it's the very hack that's going to help us get more done. Right. It, it gives you the, it give, I mean, it gives you the rest. And that's something else that you talk about is that combination between efficiency, rest and sleep. Um, and I know that for many of us, we see just like scrolling on, like scrolling on our phone or um, I've recently started watching Gossip Girl, like the original Gossip Girl. <laughs> and I've, I've equated that to rest and winding down down, but that actually isn't resting. Is that true? I mean, I would ask you, how does your body feel after watching Gossip Girl? Like, do you feel more rested or less rested? I mean, I feel like I feel after I eat candy, I guess. Like, that was good, but I just ate some candy. Yeah. It doesn't, it's like null, it's like null zero, right? I don't feel worse yeah. necessarily. I don't feel better, but I feel like if I were to actually just rest, I would feel better. Is that? Yeah. And I, I think that's where, again, I go back to that we are our best guides. Um, and mm. so there are going to be times that binging Gossip Girl and having an extra glass of wine or bottle might be <laughs> just like your happy place for a little bit. And, and yeah. I would say, okay, as long as that's not like every single night and then you feel like trash on Monday morning. I mean, how's your Monday morning? Does it feel good or does it feel bad? Sometimes we need to just watch Gossip Girl. Sometimes we need <laughs> to just hang out with friends and be stupid. Uh, and there's other times that it's like, I need to have a green smoothie and I need to go to bed and it's 930 and my kids just need to put themselves to bed because I am tapping out. Like, yeah. I think that's where it's an ongoing thing. It's not a, uh, here's the one thing that fits every single person. The big concept is we aren't slowing down enough. The concept we need to work on is that uh, we we have these tendencies to overwork and to overvalue work and to undervalue fun. I, I'm I'm starting to see this come together, and and again, I told you it's it's very timely because I was just working with this this weekend. Um, I'm starting to see this come together though, because as I was coming, I, I really did the rest over the weekend. It was great. I was excited about Monday, but then immediately got this sense that I had too many things, like that I literally didn't, I was, I, I was asking, like, praying from above, like, can I just, can today be the day you give me four extra hours? Like just this one time. Um, and I think there might be a clue in there, in the book and in what you're saying here about stopping. There's one thing about delegating tasks, which we hear a lot about. Is there somebody who's better to manage this, this item? And then there's something that is just not doing those things altogether. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the crossroads I'm at. Can you, can you speak to that? What is that? How yeah, do you know? So, yeah, let me start with that. We never do our best work when we're stressed out. So mm -hmm. I remember I was in Nepal between my undergrad and grad school. And this is a story I tell in the book too. And I just, 
I just think it's awesome and ridiculous. So my friend Todd and I are, are there and our guide says to us, if we get chased by a wild rhinoceros, climb up a tree. And I didn't ask any follow-up questions. I didn't ask what kind of tree. I didn't ask how we climb that tree. Didn't ask, should we practice this? Thinking he's just or saying, is this actually going to happen? Yeah. Like, yeah, is this, this a common occurrence? Like, or is yeah, this just or a you're just trying of... to get the, t- <laughs> get the tourists all worked up. So we go in the jungle and we come across a rhino. This is like 2001. I had a like click camera, didn't have a digital camera yet. Took a picture. I'm like, I don't know if this is blurry. So I took a step forward, took another picture. In retrospect, should have stopped there. Took another step forward and the rhino charges the group. So I take off running. I was a sprinter in high school and Todd oh, was long sure. distance. Okay. Todd, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I know I can outrun these people. I just like take <laughs> off running. Blatantly disregard the advice to climb a tree. So then we come back uh, and our guide comes shimmering down the tree and he's yelling at us, why didn't you go up the tree? Why didn't you go up the tree? Well, why didn't I go up a tree? You know, when you're stressed out, you don't try something new. You don't like say, oh, I'm going to try to climb one of these random Nepali trees. No, I know I can outrun a couple of my friends, which was not the nicest thing as a friend. That's very mean. I know that's very mean. Yeah. (laughs) But it's one of those things that like in those moments, we don't do our best work. And so I would go back to, you know, if we aren't recuperating and doing the things our body needs and slowing down, our brain is trash on Monday morning. And then we wonder why our productivity is so bad and why we want to just go talk at the water cooler because we're taking that slow down anyway if we're not being productive. And so our body is going to find that equilibrium. And do we want to do that with our friends and family or do we want to do it when we're kind of dinking around at work? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then when you can to just leave out the things that you don't really need to do. So you don't end up being the one running instead of climbing trees. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every five minutes that I like waste in my business, I'm, I'm wasting that time that I could be with my daughters. You know, it's time that I could be relaxing. And so I want to find the things that make me most efficient within the time I choose to do business. And then from there, be able to just kind of change things up. Let go of the things that don't. So you mentioned earlier, and I I want to get into this boundaries, um, setting your boundaries, and and you use the word non negotiable. So this sounds like where we start to get into the stuff that I usually love, which is yeah, like how what are your pieces of advice for setting boundaries? Like what what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, I would say having just a couple of soft boundaries and hard boundaries. So for example, I wrote a book about not working on Friday. So if I have a consulting client that only can meet on Fridays, I'm not going to work with them. Uh, I want to have a three-day weekend every weekend. Now, I may have some soft boundaries where my assistant who checks my email, if she texts me on a Friday morning and says, hey, your attorney just sent you an email, I think you should really read it before Monday, I'm probably going to reply to that email. Mm. Um, And so being able to say, you know, it's not a weight loss diet where you have these hard boundaries where you have to, you know, eat or drink the certain way, exactly the same way. It's we get to create it in the same way we created time. We created the seven day week. We created 40 hours as humans. We get to decide how this looks for us, which can feel wishy-washy because I think a lot of people want the step by step. But just starting with, okay, what would be a step in the right direction? Would be taking off half of Friday twice a month and seeing if the world falls apart work? Let's, let's just do an experiment. Um, let's do a four-day week. And what's naturally going to happen is the 20 tasks you used to spread out over five days, you're going to drop the ball on the four worst tasks that you probably shouldn't be doing anyway. And mm. so, you know, say you usually are the one that also as the business owner is also taking out the trash and you have 16 really high level things and you don't take out the trash for two weeks because you took Fridays off. What does that tell you about the trash? It tells you you should probably hire someone, you know, once a week to come take out the trash. And your business is probably better off by you not taking out the trash. And so you'll naturally start to shed all of those tasks that are just not worth your time. Yeah, I I like that you, and it's not just on a daily basis, but that we can take a look at this daily, monthly, and, and yearly boundaries. Can we, can you give us that, like what, what that looks like to look at it from on a micro level and then expand it to, to a year in the life of work? Yeah. So I think one thing to really understand is when you're going to sprint, most people think, you know, I've read this productivity book. They said to batch things and it didn't work for me. Yeah. The reason it it didn't work is they didn't know their sprint type. So the research that's emerging now is there's actually different types in the same way that the Myers-Briggs has personality types. There's there's actually sprint types. And so there's two axes. So on the XY axis. So the first one is in 
regards to when we're going to sprint. So some people um, need to have it be weekly where it just repeats itself. Uh, and then other people need to go away for more of a retreat model. And, and so uh, I'm somebody that, you know, in my calendar for working on writing this book, every Thursday was the day that I worked on this book. And just like I had my whole schedule of how I did that. Other people may need once a month or every other month, they go away for three or four days to an Airbnb to just not see the laundry and their kids and they just, you know, get away. Yeah. So there's first that. Um, and then in the other direction, we have whether you're a task switcher, meaning that every 20 minutes or so you're changing tasks, or are you a batcher, someone that does the same thing all day long or during that period of time? So for example, I was every single week I was working on the book and then I was also just working on the book. Other people may need to work on researching the book, and then they might want to check their emails, and then they might want to go back to the book. And so being able to break up your day, do you need that variety, or do you need to have a very specific task to get into kind of a flow state? So when you start to discover your sprint type, which I walk through more in depth in the book, mm -hmm. then when you show up, you actually are getting more done in those four days than you were spreading out over the five days, because you're strategic around those big picture things. And so for example, right now, this book comes out in October, all of everything I've done for this year, the big lens I look through is how do I make sure this book is a New York Times bestseller as, as much as I have control over. Um, and so if, if there's 15 minutes where I find that someone just canceled, say, a phone call, my lens is book, 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 book. So, Because that's the big focus for the year. And so that then allows me to do bigger and better work than just kind of wandering aimlessly in regards to how I'm going to spend my day. Oh, I love. And I think it's also we can get really caught up in in looking around at other people and what are they doing and what are they and and instead really looking at what works for you. I've I've shared so I just finished I just handed in the edits for my book uh yesterday, Monday. Congratulations. Um, yay, yay, you know. It's it's a long process. Um but to write the book I took two months off of everything else. I batched out all these podcasts. I went away. We have a we have a home out east where there were no humans because it's cold and miserable in March. And I just sat in my house and wrote for 12 hours. And I found that I didn't take any calls. I didn't do any, I did nothing else. Um, I was actually on a different commuter schedule than everybody else who would come out for the weekends. I'd be going back for the weekends to be with my family. And, and when I first, I was pretty sure that was going to be my my sprint style. Um, and I felt really insecure, like, oh, I'm, I'm turning away different projects that I should be working on. And I think that another thing that you're saying here is, or if I'm feeling empowered is own, own what it is. I am not, as you describe it right there, I am not a task switcher. I've got multiple podcasts that I'm recording today because today is my podcast day. I didn't realize that that was, that that's what it was, but, but it is. And Wow, actually, yeah, I'm being yeah. a lot more efficient yeah, as so a result. You're, so you're you're a time block sprinter that also does intensive. So a time block intensive sprinter. So you tend to go away and do things, you know, with your book, you went away for that. Whereas it sounds like you have the automated sprinter for today where you're kind of cycling through it. So no, mm -hmm. it's it's good when you know your sprint type because then you're more you're optimizing your time in a way that's different than than if you aren't intentional around it. So let me ask you, Joe. So we we get through this. We we're we're making all these mind um, mindset shifts. Who have you seen do this really well? Like uh, like whether it's people you you've worked with personally or people who you you know you've you've seen uh, from a distance. That this is who are some of those people that really do this well. You know, there's this lady, Jessica Tapana, that I talk about in the book, and she came to Slow Down School, and she owns a group practice uh, in Missouri, and typical counselor. Uh, she's a self-proclaimed technophobe. She hates even turning on the TV. She can't set anything up, but she got really good at SEO and geeked out on it and search engine optimization. And literally in the evenings, she would just sit around with these other therapists and entrepreneurs and help them with their websites to build their SEO. And at the end of the week, it was really interesting because she just was doing what she knew well. Uh, at the end of the week, uh, she just said to people, 
hey, if I wanted to launch an SEO business, would any of you want to be clients? And I think she had 10 clients as she left that place. She now makes more money off her SEO business than she does off her group practice. But Mm. she schedules in a way that balances out what she learned at Slowdown School, that her best work comes from slowing down, from doing these sprints, from focusing on really where is the best use of my time as the owner. And I think that I see this a lot with people that maybe are used to doing multiple ventures or side gigs that a side gig might take off and they realize if I double down on the side gig, that might actually multiply faster than my normal full-time income. Uh, And so seeing people like Jessica do that, I feel like um, it just shows that the average person can do what we're talking about. You don't have to be in a big company. You don't have to even convince your company or your whole department to start to live these things out. Uh, Because the tendency is to give that power to somebody else to say, if my boss doesn't buy in, I can't live this life. If my company Mm. doesn't buy in, I can't live this life. Or even as an entrepreneur, like my clients won't let me do that. And I'm going to call BS on that, that we can own our lives in the same way that the Babylonians made up the seven-day week, Henry Ford made up the 40-hour work week. We can own our time and we can take it back. And I know that we are in an exit from what the industrialists taught us, uh, that we don't have to buy into what they taught us. We can shift into something new and evolve differently. Um, Where do you think... So this is a this is a question which I think I know the answer to. But does let's say let's say you do all of this right and you really do like all of a sudden you're like yes this is exactly what I was hoping my life looks exactly like I was hoping it would look after reading this book after applying these practices and then it goes that way for six months a year does it. Like, is this a one-time thing? Like you, you, you figure this out and you're, you're set for life or does it change? And should we expect that? And when it does, how do we know and what do we do? Yeah. One of the big things I talk about is how the industrialists want us to set up the machine and let it keep working. So, uh, so I would say going into this, and what I talk about in the book is actually the shift into viewing companies and cultures as an organism that's constantly evolving. Um, And so you're always going to be shifting. Your life is going to look different a year from now than it does right now. Like who knows in the listeners' lives what's going to happen? You know, there's going to be tragedy, there's going to be relationships that fall apart, there's going to be successes that you don't expect. So I even talk about how I don't believe in five year goals because who I was five years ago was like completely different. I would have played way too small if I had set a five-year goal for Joe Sanok right now. And and so viewing first and foremost our our lives and also our businesses as an organism is really important. So one little way that I do this is every year I talk to my staff. Um, And so this one lady, Sam, she came in just as a designer and I ask them three questions. First question is, what do you absolutely love that you're doing right now that you want to keep doing? Second, what's something you hate doing that you wish we would hire someone else to do for you? Mm. And then third, what's some skill that you want to learn or that you'd like to develop that we could get you training in that would be fun for you to learn within your position? So Sam's gone from being a designer to then putting out a magazine to then getting video editing skills to now being our chief marketing officer over a whole team of social media and different people. And, And so the industrialists want us to hire somebody for a role. And then if they want to make more money, they have to become a supervisor. Well, Mm. what if they don't want to be a supervisor? What if they have no interest? What if they're bad at it? Well, now you're putting good quality, say designers in a supervisory position where they hate it and they're not good at supervising. And and so the big shift, I think for organisms within a company or viewing a company as an organism is saying, let's look at that person and say, how can we help them evolve? So if Sam doesn't like doing the show notes for the podcast anymore, it feels too tedious. I'm sure there's a million people that would love to do show notes uh, and have that be their job. And they may outgrow that at some point, and that's fine too. That flexibility within businesses, I think, is really the future wave Mm. where it's an organism, not just this thing that we set up once and then we just forget about it. This has been uh, just so eye-opening. And like I said, from the very beginning, you you blew my mind. So I feel like I've been p- playing catch-up ever since, which is which is good. I'm going to have to go back and, and re-listen. Um, w- two more questions. The first one is this. What is, after everything we've talked about, you yourself, a very successful person, of course, the people listening to this podcast are uh, achievers. What is success to you? What is the definition of success? Because I feel like everything that we've talked about here is in an effort to, to, like the goal is to feel quote unquote successful. Um, So what is, what is success? What is success to you, Joe? 
Success to me is on a Friday afternoon to guilt-free be able to go stand up paddleboarding with my two daughters. I mean, like there's so many things that it takes for that to happen. I have to inside feel okay with letting work go. There's always a bigger to-do list. Like we're business owners. There's always something I could be doing. But to guilt-free be able to say enough is enough and I'm going to go do this, to be able to say this is good for my body, it's good for my kids, it's a connection. To me, success is being able to do those things that we enjoy, whatever those look like. Even though we have a business we love, I love the work I do. I mm-hmm. feel like I could do it seven days a week and still be happy. But I also know that my kids need a dad and I need exercise and I need to eat healthy. And that I, if I overvalue work, I'm missing out on a number of other things. So for me, success is paddleboarding on a Friday with my daughters. Uh, is that always easy? Like, do you sometimes, are there some Friday afternoons where you're, where it's like, yeah, I did it. Like I'm, this is guilt-free. This is amazing. And are there other Fridays where you're like working to achieve that guilt-free experience? Yeah. I mean, there, it's always moving. I mean, the target's always moving. I mean, just right before this call, a really big podcast work, reached out to interview me and uh, they only record on Saturdays. And it it was something that I said, you know, I wrote a book about taking like a three-day weekend. You know, this podcast, it's big, but like, it's just not worth it. Now, if the Today Show wanted me to come on a Saturday, I'd probably do that. <laughs> so I mean, you have some flexibility there, but it's like, you know, do I want to start compromising over and over on, you know, getting interviewed on a Saturday and my kids then don't see me? And, and yes, there's times that there's, there's launches and you do all of that. But I do feel like um, mm-hmm. we, all, we always have to be vigilant around it. Um, you know, it's so easy, especially as entrepreneurs, to just do one more email or if I just, you know, just do one more Instagram after the kids are in bed and then our mind is thinking about all the analytics and we're off and running. For me, I am such an achiever that I need to set very hard boundaries. And so I'll mm. even say to myself, whether that's a Thursday or maybe I do a couple emails on a Friday where I close my computer and it's like, goodbye, computer. I'm going to put yes. you in my office. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to shut the door and I'll see you on Monday. And my assistant will text me if there's an emergency. And if there's no texts that are emergencies, I can let it go. Yeah, I I think that there is there was this one Care Bear movie I remember watching a long time ago as a kid in the 80s where this character like gets this book and it starts to take over his whole life and he becomes possessed by it and it ends up being like he has to close the book and put it away. And I sometimes feel that about my laptop, like just close the book, put it away um, and how, how freeing that is. So Joe, where can we find you? Where do we get, we already talked about pre-ordering at the book, but, but tell, tell us all the places where we can find you if we want more. Yeah. My central hub is joesanok.com. And so you can order the book through there. It'll direct you to uh, wherever you buy your books. It's, it's available everywhere. So wherever you get your books, um, you can pre-order it. Uh, also, if you're interested in keynotes or having me as a guest on your show or whatever else, uh, we have lots of extra things there to help support the book. Um, one of the big things is as people do experiments around this, uh, we're having them submit them to our website so that we can talk about how people are enacting this. Because we know that there's going to be some very creative ways that people make Thursday the new Friday. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I hope you, yeah, I want to, I want to hear what all of those, I want to hear what all of those are. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I know how precious your time and now as we've realized all of our time is, and I cannot wait to see what stories you tell next. Oh, thank you so much. This has been Success Stories with Kendra Hall. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop us a review and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.